Business Women Rock, episode 56. Hold on to your hats, ladies. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast. It is Business Women Wednesday today, so we're going to start off by honoring one of our fabulous ladies of the Business Women Rock community. Today's lady is Ashley Drummonds. And Ashley is a phenomenal personal trainer as well as an internet marketer for all things health and wellness. She helps women attain their health and fitness goals by following the ABS program, which doesn't just stand for, you know, your abdominal muscles, but also stands for authentic beauty and strength. As an internet marketer, she's helping people find their own strength through fitness, through her natural fat burning recipes on Amazon, and she's also the creator of the ABS Protein Pancakes. Ashley, I know you are constantly doing stuff to continue building out your business and to challenge yourself as a businesswoman. So great job, girl. Keep up the great work. To find out more about Ashley and how you can be highlighted in the Business Women Wednesday series, go to bizwomenrock.com. Now let's get on with the show. My guest today is Carrie Wilkerson, who's the founder of the Barefoot Executive. She is absolutely fabulous. She is an author, she's a speaker, she's a consultant, she's a trainer, she's an online marketer, and she has just had an incredibly robust business career. 16 years ago, she decided that she was going to stay home with her two new kids and be able to build a business from home, and she has done just that. I had the pleasure of meeting Carrie in person on our Tampa Marketers Cruise that we have every year, and um, she was one of our speakers, and I was just so impressed by her that as soon as the podcast launched, I just had reached out to her saying, you gotta be on the show, I gotta share what you know with everyone. So in this interview, she really not only goes through her own experience of having built a six-figure and often seven-figure business, but she also shares so much about what she knows that will make businesses successful, like building a list, like offering product, like, you know, how to package your fees for speaking and, you know, all that sort of stuff. She is just a wealth of knowledge, full of passion, and you're just going to fall in love with her. So turn up that volume. The interview starts now. Carrie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, Katie. I am so excited to have you here. You and I have had the pleasure of um, actually meeting each other a couple of years ago on our cruise, on our marketers cruise that we have out of Tampa. And I got to tell you, I was absolutely blown away, not only by you know the presentation that you gave then, which we're going to get into a little as far as your knowledge base, but you know, your passion and like your spunk. I think that's probably the best word that I can that I can use for it. But you just are such a genuine person and you have such an incredible business story. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on the show today to really share that passion and share that story with everyone else. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I really want to get into um, sort of building up where you are today by starting where you started from. Can you give us a little bit about your background? Like, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you were kind of growing up, and how you sort of, you know, got bit by the business bug. 
Yes. Yeah, so um, <laughs> thanks for all that. And that's it is such a convoluted story. I was a military kid. And then uh, my dad was uh, search and rescue in the Coast Guard for 27 years. And then he when he had three teenagers in the house, he made a very logical decision to retire and go to Bible college to become a pastor. Um, so so then he went to a different form of search and rescue. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and so we were always broke. You know, we thought we were broke. We never did without, but we we lived a very frugal lifestyle, and and we were not business minded, or so I thought. My mom stayed home with us the majority of the time. She had a couple of things she did, but but no career path, so to speak, except for raising us, which is you know so important. But um, you know, looking back, I see that they modeled all kinds of things that I teach now, like creating income from your skills and. Um, you know, using what you know and what's at your disposal to create money. So, so I love those valuable insights looking back. But I went to college because my parents said I needed a degree to fall back on in case my husband, something ever happened to him, right? So oh, I'm boy. from a very, I know, right? <laughs> that was in 1990, you would think we were past that by then. But that's still very much uh, a, a Southern mindset, a very evangelical conservative mindset that I needed something to fall back on. So I was pursuing a very practical degree in music. So I'm a vocalist and I was pursuing music education and I was determined that I was going to teach and perform. And then I got married. I got my MRS degree before I got my BS, but I did. <laughs> I was going to ask you if, about that one. <laughs> yeah, I got my MRS degree um, my sophomore year, between my sophomore and junior year. And then I got impatient with my music degree and my last semester and summer, I said, if I don't finish by Christmas, I'm just going to quit because that's super practical and that's a good plan. So I switched colleges and switched majors to mass communication with um, a minor in English, <laughs> abandoned my music and um, and graduated then. And then, of course, I was qualified to do nothing. So I got a job while I also pursued a teacher certification. I went into public high schools. In the meantime, I was always working. So I've worked in the government sector. I've worked in um, real estate, worked in mortgage loans. I did all of this at the same time because one thing that I've recognized as a common thread, Katie, is that even in high school, I refused to have a standard job that everybody else did. I never wanted to be paid by the hour. I wanted to be paid by the results. And I always wanted to create my own schedule. And I'm not kidding, even at 16 years old. So I worked on the Air Force base bagging groceries for the commissary and we were not paid. We were only tipped by the military personnel. So I was tipped based on how I hustled, how good I did, how good I took care of my customers, repeat customers. It wasn't uncommon for me to get a $20 tip you know, for carrying somebody's orders out. Um, I learned really quickly that I could create, that there were jobs available. I could create my own schedule and I could create my economy by being results-based. Now, I look back now and think, wow, other people my age weren't thinking that. That was unusual then. So I guess that's when it first bit me. And then when I went to college, I, I liked being um, a nanny. I did work an hourly job on campus. That was primarily to stay close to the dean and, and what was going on in the school of music. But I always did something extra. I always did some kind of childcare or some kind of housekeeping. And I never, ever charged by the hour. I always charged by the result. 
and uh, it, which I, again, I think is super unusual. We're so hourly based. But when I started teaching high school and I loved it, the part that appealed to me most was the marketing of the yearbook and the marketing of the newspaper and how we could increase our margins and how we could earn more money to put more color in the book and how we could increase our readership base. And, and then I realized that what I was doing was studying business and I was studying marketing and I just loved it. So one day my husband said to me, you're so amazing at making money for everybody else. Why don't you make some for us? <laughs> Literally, right? Husbands are awesome at that. He just Brilliant. kind of distilled it all down. How about you just make some of that for us? So long story short, we adopted two children while I was teaching, and I made an immediate decision to stay home with them. They were from a negligent background and in a, in a rough spot, and I vowed that they would never wonder again who their mother was. So I stayed home with them. But I did not have a income plan as a teacher. I mean, when the money stopped, the money stopped. So I needed to do something from home. That was 1997. And I started going to this place called the library. Some of you youngsters won't recognize that name. <laughs> but it's where we borrow books and then we return them. It's kind of like Google, but not. And um, I started researching things to do at home and businesses to do at home. And there was there were not that many resources. So I just set out to create some additional income at home. I wasn't really bitten by the business bug. I wasn't really, I didn't have a big grand idea or a big huge goal, except I need to make some money and I need to stay here with my kids. It was as I, I dove into that more through sales and eventually desktop publishing and leveraging the internet. It was through all that that then I learned that business just is super fun to me. I get to control how much I put into it. And conversely, I get to control what I get out of it. And, and along the way, I get to work with rock stars like you and other people that just are not okay with hourly. People that are not okay with someone else setting their schedule and people that are not okay with the, the whole clocking in, clocking out, doing what somebody else tells me, right? We're rebels, but just in a, in a different kind of way. So that's how that all evolved. Uh, I had a publishing company, a virtual publishing company for 10 years. I sold it. It's still in business. Several years later, somebody else is running that. And um, because of all I learned in all of my business journeys, I started a website called The Barefoot Executive to be a resource for people, to help people not feel alone in this journey. And to be that, to be the, eventually write the book that was not at the library that I needed. When I wrote The Barefoot Executive, The Ultimate Guide, it was so that that book would exist when somebody went to the library. Because when I looked before, it just wasn't there. It really wasn't there. Um, so that's that's basically then and now I've added you know two more kids along the way. I have four total now, up to seven. I also fostered three. Uh, recently, and that was a little nutty. Um, but now I've been working at home for myself for 16 years. Those same babies that I adopted that brought me home, Katie, um, turned 16 and 18 this year. And one wow. of them, the 16-year-old actually graduates from high school in a few weeks. She skipped a grade and she is graduating just right around the corner. So I just could not be more blessed and more proud and have any more of a crazy journey, you know, to talk to people about. I've been there, done that, 
No kidding. You have like a little bit of everything like sloshed into this experience. So let me dig a little bit deeper into sort of the beginning of the Barefoot Executive. So, you know, you had had this very successful publishing company. And um, and then, you know, can you talk about why you decided to sell that? And then what really did prompt the Barefoot Executive as a business entity? Yes. So um, I have about a three year attention span. And that's probably long for most entrepreneurs, but um, looking back, even from when I was a kid, I would do something to the point of mastery, and then I would get bored and need to do something else. So uh, I was in the mortgage industry for three years. I was um, I was in government for about three years. I taught for three years. You know, I don't know how I made it through four and a half years of college because I was done. After <laughs> You know, even when I look back at high school, I remember my junior year being so painful because I just felt done. I felt like I was done with the whole scene. Um, I stayed in and I did graduate, but I, I do. I really just remember that super restless feeling at three years. So it goes back a long way. So with a publishing company, it was a service-based business. And so I was actually creating for customers every month. And I was very hands-on managing a team of contractors up to 10, 10 12 people at a time. After three years, um, well, while I had that company, I also had two babies. So childbirth was new for me. Being a mom of, of newborns was new for me. And now I had four kids, three and four kids. So my life shifted pretty pretty drastically during that time. And honestly, I, I got maxed out on this service-based part of it. So that along with the the economy changing and me feeling a huge responsibility for salary and income of other people. I'm pretty intuitive. I'm kind of a forecaster and I wanted to sell that business while it was still crazy profitable, while it was still good and intact um, so that I wouldn't be responsible for those incomes even if the economy tanked so that I could focus wholeheartedly on my littles and not be so reliant on that one income stream. So I created the Barefoot Executive before we sold the other company um, just to create an additional income stream. I thought it would be fun. I thought it would be something part-time and a good outlet to connect with people all over the world instead of just being local. Working at home can be a very lonely place. I know you guys um, do a great job with your local networking and and fulfilling that local need. I wanted to do that on a global basis for other men and women that I felt like were sitting at home working alone by themselves like I was and feeling like I was always reinventing the wheel or having to look for resources that didn't exist. So it was kind of a test. Um, So in August 27th, 2007, with a 10-week-old baby, my fourth was 10 weeks. My third was three. My second was, let me think, 10. And then my oldest was 12. Um, I started a new website because that's what you do when you have a high six-figure business and four kids and some extra time on your hands, right? You start a new business. So, <laughs> <laughs> Let's just add one more thing to the plate. <laughs> that's how I roll. So um, it stemmed from a nickname my husband gave me when I was pregnant with my third one. I was fat and happy. And when I say fat and happy, I mean, I literally was like 266 pounds wow. and pregnant for the first time, had finally beat infertility and... Um, I was running a high six-figure company in a little bitty nowhere town um, where our internet really is like tin cans and string. We're in the middle of nowhere. And he said, you know what? You're a barefoot executive. You've got it all. You've really figured this out and you need to write a book. 
you need to write a book and tell people how to do this. So that was in 2004. I did not write the book until 2011, but when I started the company in 2007, I thought, you know, I think people will get that image. I think they will understand. It's not about stilettos and corner offices, unless you want it to be, but it really is about your life, your business, your way. And um, so that's what we did. August 27th, I just put up a really ugly little website that was one page. It was just kind of an email collector form just to see if people resonated with the idea. And they did. And what were you offering on that website? Like, were you, <laughs> like, was it just like a blog where you were just kind of writing stories and asking people to comment? Or were you offering something? I didn't have a blog. I didn't have a blog. I didn't blog for years. I just started blogging well, the past couple of years. But I offered a report called seven things your boss doesn't want you to know about working from home. It was total snark. I mean, you know me, you know, I'm <laughs> one, liner, one liner after one liner. There was no heavy content in there. It was really about, you know, just making people aware of the tax deductions. There was one that said your boss doesn't want you to know that meetings are irrelevant and optional. When you work for yourself, nobody makes you show up at a staff meeting where you have to pretend to pay attention, you know, stuff like that. Uh, casual Friday can be every day. I can work in my pajamas or in a suit. It's up to me. You know, nobody has to tell me how to dress. Um, I did talk about tax deductions. I did talk about leveraging technology, you know, those kind of things. But again, it really was just to see if people resonated with the idea. And um, we grew that email list with that ugly web page that I hacked together myself to 24,000 emails within like nine and a half months. Holy cow. So definitely the message resonated <laughs> with people, right? Apparently, apparently. Wow. Okay. So I want to really get into this because you are what I would consider a, a just a really genius internet marketer. And so, okay. so many times that phrase is sort of muddled because you don't really know. You're just sort of thinking people are tr who are trying to like black hat stuff, right? But you genuinely have built a very successful internet marketing business. And what you just talked about, your list, is obviously where that started from. So can you talk a little bit about what you decided to do with that list and how you decided to roll out services and products. And then we're going to eventually get into really your entire business model as it currently sits. Okay, perfect. So I didn't start out to be an internet marketer. I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't follow the whole movement. I didn't follow the gurus. I didn't know what the scene was like. I'm just this Southern stay at home mom, you know, just kind of figuring things out. And, um, but because of our success in list building and the fact that I was nobody and then suddenly seemed to be everywhere, um, I got on a lot of internet marketing stages to teach and train. And that's kind of how I evolved into an online trainer. I didn't intend to be there. Um, but, but yeah, internet marketing doesn't have to be a yucky term. It, as a matter of fact, and you've heard me say this before, it's like saying, oh, that person's a newspaper marketer just because they have an ad in the newspaper, or that person's a billboard marketer, or that person's a radio marketer. The fact is, business is business, and I'm a business person, but I do choose to leverage online as a valuable piece of my real estate. I do leverage that to connect with people and draw people in. So um, when I first rolled out, it was that ugly web page. All I was doing was collecting names. I didn't have a product. I didn't have a logo. I didn't have a website. I was still working on it in the background. I didn't have a blog. I didn't even know what a blog was. I was so behind. Um, but I just knew that the names were important, that if I wanted people listening, they had to be in the pews, right? So my dad's a preacher. You, can, you don't preach to an empty 
church. That's not a congregation. That's just listening to yourself talk. So I wanted to fill the pews first just to see if there was anybody listening. And then I just went old school with it, Katie. So this is 2007. I sent out an e-zine every week. I sent in an email newsletter every week. And I was just telling stories. I would, you know, talk about <laughs> sitting there typing while I rocked the baby carrier with my other foot, right? So while I'm typing and and the fact that the three-year-old is playing with her blocks next to me. And um, and then I would just say, you know, if, if you're like me and this is what you're juggling, then we're going to have a teleclass on Friday night. I've invited um, CPA so-and-so to do um, a class for us on how to maximize your deductions because the average business owner is overpaying their taxes by three to $5,000. If you're interested, click here and register for the call. So literally, that was three weeks after I started list building, I did that call. I did not know anything about the IRS or list building, but I knew a CPA who did. We charged $27 a head for the call, used PayPal. And, um, and then on the back end, she, sold some consulting packages for home-based business owners. Well, I knew this would be a hot topic because it's so hard to find a good accountant who understands small business, home-based business most especially. So we sold, this is my very first call. We used free conference call. You know, it was just trial by fire. I was terrified of the technology. How funny is that? It was a phone. I was terrified <laughs> of the technology um, we sold a hundred spots on the call, so we made twenty seven hundred up front um, in two thousand seven. And then on the back end, she sold. Pro um, I want to say she sold about six grand in packages, which she split with me. So wow, uh, fifty seven hundred dollars on that phone call, and I had never done a phone call like that before. It was my first time. Wow, that was a hundred people on the call. And that was that kind of revenue. So people that say, oh, you have to have a monster list. Oh, you have to blah, blah, blah. But what happened is then we recorded it and transcribed it. I sold that same audio and report for about three years until the tax code changed. I sold it for about three years and I probably made 11 or 12 grand eventually off of that one phone call with a small list three weeks after I started um, because I was taking action. So, you know, I think it's good that I don't sit around and study all the gurus and don't get caught up in overthinking. I just, you know, let's just do this. Let's see if people like it. <laughs> let's see if it resonates. Oh, six grand. I guess it did. I, <laughs> wow. I guess liked it. Let's do that again. So we did a monthly call, not the CPA and I, 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 I did what I call the Oprah method. You know, I just interviewed a different expert every month on something that I didn't know about. But what was happening is this crazy credibility building that they started to believe that I was the expert, not the people I was interviewing. So I became Oprah to them. I became the person bringing them the people with the answers, um, even if I didn't have the answers myself. And that's kind of how it started. So I didn't have a product to sell or a website for three months. I just did affiliate offers and calls and list building. And within nine months, our list was 24,000 or so. And that's when I developed a membership. And, um, you know, and, and the rest, as they say, is history. We've evolved now. I do keynotes now because speaking is my passion. It's what I love is speaking in front of audiences. And um, speaking and writing is what I love now. So I don't even do a lot of the low-cost offers anymore. I've kind of moved away from the info product. I'm kind of moving out of the so-called internet marketing scene into the content provider. And I call it the Kindle, the keynote path. So, 
you know, you can get my books on Kindle and then book me for a keynote or maybe you know somebody else that does. I'm, I'm kind of evolving to that model a little bit and getting out of launch mode, you know, out of a lot of promotion mode, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I just really want to, I, I want to say how much I appreciate you bringing up that topic because so many of our listeners, as they're sort of, you know, building their list or they're building a following and, you know, capturing that information, they're sort of wondering, like, what do I do with this? And who am I? Like, I'm not an expert. I can't really talk about A, B, and C. So I love the fact that you're really bringing up that you don't have to be the expert. You just connect, you know, like learn how to bring on the expert and, you know, just have a conversation with them, have a Q&A, all that sort of stuff, which is yeah. fa- fairly easy to do to find really good, uh, you know, experts in their field to be able to do that, who would love to have an audience, you know? So if you can just marry those two, that, I think that's really genius. You don't have to be seen as the expert, um, you know, or be, consider yourself the expert on any particular topic in order to really do that. Right. So what, what our audience really wants is somebody to ask the tough questions for them. And when you do that, then you build such a tremendous trust. I mean, let's talk about Oprah for a minute. I'm, she's one of the most, if you were to poll people, she's one of the most trusted, probably, people um, in the United States, if not the world. And, and why is that? She's certainly not an expert on weight loss. She's not an expert on the legal system because she's you know been sued and had to fight all that. She's not an expert on how to build a sellable brand. And when I say that, what I mean is Oprah is not a saleable brand. It's a billion dollar brand, but she built it on her name. It's not sellable. She's not an expert on um, child rearing, got no children, not an expert on marriage, not an expert on any of this. But if we want answers, we listen to what Oprah said. Why is that? Well, it's because she's hanging out with experts. Mm-hmm. So she's asking questions. And I'm not dissing Oprah. I admire what she's done, but she's built her business on being the go-between. That's very interesting. I really like that. Um, so so let's move forward to exactly where your business is going now, and that is towards, you know, the keynote presentations. And, you know, I'll sit here and be a great testimonial for you for the fact that, you know, you are phenomenal in front of a room. I mean, there I've rarely seen anyone with more passion and with more, like, actionable takeaways. Like, here's you, – you don't give fluff. I mean, it's really I, entertaining, but you're really giving, like, hey – you know, if this is what you're going through, here's what you need to do. Go Walk away with these, you know, 800 things that you could possibly do and, you know, go take action. That's really, you know, what you do very, very well. So you're really getting into a space where you're wanting to have, you know, more keynote presentations and then being able to have, you know, content delivered um, through all of these other different ways. Right. Right. So I'm moving out of the, you know, the, the selling smaller things and just I, I do consulting with business owners and I love that it has to be a certain qualified business owner I do that I love consulting with corporations and teams and then I, I do love the keynote and and I do have to back up and say when Katie saw me speak it's in a little odd shaped <laughs> room like the acoustics are not awesome people are on waves and there's a big window to the sea distracting them that's a hard room to capture the attention of but you know, I'm I'm a mom of four. We got things to do. We got things. I, I don't play. I can entertain you, but I'm also gonna kick your butt. And so you're gonna walk away going, "Wow, that was fun." Holy smokes, I've got a lot to do. You know. And so that's my favorite. But yeah, so I'm moving more to a content model. But there's still money to be made in that. So for business owners that go, "Oh well, you know, yeah, she can do that now because she's made so much in the past." Well, there's still money to be made in that. There's sponsorships. There's advertising. There's affiliate things you can promote. 
Um, I can still, I mean, let's look at Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and Anthony Robbins. Those guys always still had products, right? But they were products based on their core content and based on what their books were about and based on what their keynotes were about. And so it just all kind it's like a keynote in a box, right? So for the person that can't afford to book me to come speak to their person, they can buy my tape set, right? That dates me. Yep. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say, um, they well, don't have those anywhere. <laughs> We all call them the tape sets. Every speaker's like, oh, do you have a tape set? Well, yeah, they're MP3s now and they're, they're CDs. But even CDs, you're, they're like, ah, oh, can you just put that in a flash drive? Can I just get the flash drive? Or can you just put that? Can you Dropbox that? Can we, you know? So it's changing, but it's the same concept. It's the, it's the packaging up your content in ways that your audience can carry it with them. It's a powerful model. But the content model is also powerful for if you have a service-based business. We have a mutual friend, um, DJ, who has the carpet business. And, you know, I just love how he leverages mass media and little bits of content here and there to, to generate leads for his for his carpet cleaning business. It's it's just so smart. So don't think either that you don't need content or you don't have to be you know, sharing what you know in order to get people in your service business too. It's its so important. It really is. Let's talk a little bit about your consulting practice right now. Um, yeah. How did you first start consulting and, you know, how have you built a consulting practice? Like what, how have you actually acquired clients and what sorts of expectations have you given them to be able to be successful in coaching? Well, you know, coaching and consulting are a little different, a little different. I sometimes have a hard time drawing the line. Coaching is a little more hand-holding. Consulting is a little more telling them what they need to implement. Coaching is kind of checking back, you know, um, accountability and stuff too. And I do a little bit of both. Um, let me back up and say I'm not certified as a coach through anybody. I've never had a coach training class. I've never trained how to be a consultant. But everybody is a coach and a consultant, Katie. I'm, I, <laughs> how many people have asked you, how do I create a local networking group? How many? Uh, quite a few. And what, <laughs> or what, like, how do I podcast? You know, that's the one I'm right? getting a lot lately. How do I podcast? And what qualifies you to answer those questions? The fact that I'm doing it. And you're doing it well. Yeah. Um, so what qualifies me as a consultant or a coach or how did I get started? It's because even back in the day when I was fat and pregnant and, um, you know, super happy with my life and homeschooling, people were calling me like, okay, what gives you and your husband are in town at all hours of the day wearing shorts and flip flops. And yet you guys are always on these great vacations and your kids are with you. What, how, where's your money come from? How are you doing this? What are you, <laughs> what, how have you built this business? spill what secret have you got what are you not telling everybody so it really came from people asking questions so everybody is a consultant maybe you're a consultant on recipes maybe you're a consultant on how your kids are so well behaved um i get asked a lot i mean my kids are amazing kids and and how how are you raising these really amazing kids so i could be an intentional parenting consultant i probably will write a book on it at some point doesn't mean i'm perfect doesn't mean we don't mess up means I'm willing to share what we have done so that maybe you can have the same results, period. That's what qualifies me. So being a business consultant, I learned how to do by answering questions and modeling for people in their own business um, how they could apply what I'm doing or have done or see other people doing for a set, you know, expected result. Um, but the way you get into it is basically people say, will you? And you say yes. And here's how much that will cost you. So you do it free for a little while until you're maxed out on how many questions you can answer. And then you have to put a package in place, right? So you have to create some boundaries. And that's the hardest thing for people, especially women, 
especially people that work at home, are boundaries. But I will tell you that that's hard for us and that's what makes me such a rock star at it because I am so pulled in so many different directions that I have to have boundaries or I die. Um, I have to say, okay, my co my consulting package covers up to this much phone time a month. You can break that out into this, this, or this. You schedule this by clicking that link. It also covers one VIP day. I hold those between this time and this time at this hotel in this location. Here's a list of available dates. I also will review sales copy promotion setter by email. However, that's between the hours of this and this and not on weekends and not when I'm traveling or school holidays. You have to create your packages around what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. Uh, my keynote fee is set on, as a matter of fact, I just dropped it, which is very counterintuitive. A lot of people don't. But let me tell you why. As a fairly new speaker, I was already charging 12 and a half grand to show up for a 90 minute keynote. Um, it's because I didn't want to be on the road that much. <laughs> mm. It's because my, my consult, my friend at the NSA, he said, you're good enough that you set a price and say, what's it worth to be away from my family for two days to prepare to get on a plane, to sleep in a strange hotel and not know anybody and have to endure one of those cocktail parties? What is that, is that worth for you? What would it take to get you there and be okay with it and not begrudge it? And at that point, it was 12.5. And I know some people can't even fathom that. I was okay if I did that once or twice a year. It was fine. And guess what? People paid it. Right. Um, but now my goal, now that I have the second one leaving the house, and then I've got the two littles that are at such a great, great age. They're going to be second grade and fifth grade next year. Now I say, okay, I'm going to drop my keynote. My agent it's making her a little crazy. I want to drop my keynote a little because I want to be gone a lot more, but we're going to add in two extra plane tickets. So I'm dropping my keynote to be probably a super hot price. I probably will stay as busy as I want to be, but I'm adding in two plane tickets so that the girls can go with me and learn from me and with me and so we can explore some new places and neat places and so they can meet people of your caliber and my caliber in other places and really expand their borders. So why would an international keynote do that? That's why, because I've controlled my business to the point that I go, yep, it's worth me taking less so that I can take my kids and they can learn more. So, you know, that's just kind of how that's evolving too. But really, so your question on pricing, it's subjective. Your question on packages, it's subjective. You create it. It's your life, your business, your way. What are you willing to do? More importantly, what are you not willing to do? What boundaries do you need to put into place? And if you're building your stadium in the right way and filling your stadium in the right way, drawing the right people to you, then they'll still pay it. They'll they'll subscribe to you. They'll listen to you. And they'll be happy about it. So you mentioned building your stadium. So I want to get into a little bit of that because that's something that not only do you speak about, but you do it very, very well. And really, when you're talking about building a stadium, you're talking about you know, building your community, like building your following, building, you know, reaching out and having people get to know who you are, getting to know, you know, how people really feel about you and vice versa. 
Um, can you, and you're very, I mean, you have a great social media presence. So can you talk about some of the strategies that you have to really build, you know, get people in your stadium and build your audience? Yes. Yeah, so your social media stadium is a little different than your email list. And you know, this just comes natural to me, like breathing. Before we got on the call, I was already drilling you like, okay, that's great that this is doing this, but now what are you doing about the email list? Um, your email list or your mailing list, physical mailing list, or your phone number list is very different than your social media list. Um, social media does not convert into sales. Social media is for reputation building. It's for relationship building. It's for credibility. It's not necessarily for direct sales. Not that you'll never make any money from social media, but it really is for those things. It, the goal is to build trust with them to the point that they get on your email list where you can communicate deeper with them. So let's talk about social media as like going to have a drink together, whereas email is actually the date, right? It's actually the, the dinner instead of just the drink. We're spending more time together. We're a little more on one, one-on-one, -on -one, and, and they're actually giving you permission to get into their private space. So when I talk about filling your stadium, it really is more of the email slash phone slash ways we can communicate through direct response in a personal permission based way. Filling your stadium, however, you can do that in social media. I just want people not to neglect an email list. It's super important. Email is not dead. Um, social is important, but you can have large social media numbers and they won't convert. Let me give you a really powerful right now example. The Voice is a really popular talent show on TV. Mm -hmm. it's, it's one of two TV shows that I watch, and we all watch it as a family. I have a very musical family. I mentioned my music degree. I have a 10-year-old that studies with a Broadway coach. So we are a very musical family. My teenager is going to college to study music therapy. Um, we watch The Voice. Now, there was a girl that was a contestant this season that just concluded, season six, I think is what just concluded, or seven. She came on to the show as a YouTube sensation. She has 2 million subscribers on her YouTube channel, 2 million subscribers to her Facebook page, half, half a million on Twitter, and then various other platforms. But that's significant. That's 4.5 million people. Would you say that her stadium was full? I would say yes, because she can talk to them directly, but... I you would think so. And since this is a voting-based competition at the end, everybody thought, well, if Christina can just get through the judge part, the part where the judges decide, which is about the first four episodes, if she can make it to the audience portion, she's got this in the bag. Right. Bloggers blogged about it. Everybody speculated about it. Her fans were super crazy on Twitter. Everybody was excited. She's got this in the bag. She made it into top 12. She made it into top five. She made it into top three. And everybody thought there's no way that they can compete with Christina. And guess what? She was third place out of top three. And the other two came out of nowhere. One of them's an 18-year-old boy from Texas, giving up his graduation to pursue this dream. Yeah. He's from nowhere, a little small town. The other guy is an SAT coach in Indy, I think. And these two guys beat her. They beat her because her audience didn't convert. Hmm. Yes, they blew up Twitter. Yes, they blew up Instagram. 
but they didn't jump over to Facebook to vote. They didn't text to vote. They didn't call in to vote. They are fans, but they're not fanatical. I like that distinction, actually, because, um, you know, if you really look at social media as being the, you know, the reputation building platform, but there has to be an action that really, you know, makes them jump off of that to do something, whether it's in business or whether it's, for example, the the voice contest. And if they're right. not, if, if you don't have control, I shouldn't say control, but if you're not getting people to do that, then you're not really having the impact, right? Right. And so it, she has a full stadium and they're great for likes and clicks and subscribes, but let's compare her fans with the winner. The winner was Josh Kaufman. He is probably late 20s, early 30s, sings soul, huge female fan base. He, he really had the best talent, but the best talent doesn't always win. But he had a huge female fan base, probably my age, you know, 30s and 40s. Let's look at the difference. She has a lot of teen fans and preteen fans. She's also been building that YouTube audience and Facebook page for five years. So some of her audience is not new. They're stale. So he is out of nowhere. His audience is all new, all fanatical. His audience are people that have landlines, cell phones, and Facebook. His audience was on those three platforms. Her audience, even if they have a cell phone, which a lot of them probably do, it may or may not be a smartphone. They may or may not have Facebook, and they don't have probably a landline. Whereas when I vote, just, just to be blatantly honest, I'm calling from my landline. I'm calling from my cell phone. I also could use my teenager's cell phone and my husband's cell phone if I wanted to stack votes. And, and <laughs> not I, that you would ever do that. that or you could dial in from Skype. I also have Facebook. And not only can I vote on Facebook, I can tell my friends to vote on Facebook. So my conversion, his you know, 2,000 rabid fans are going to be more powerful than her 2 million or 4 million because of the number of responses they can use, because of the newness of how fanatical they are, and because the demographic is a better fit for the voice. Her demographic didn't transfer to the voice. They probably never watched her. That's really interesting. And I want to know how that has worked for you personally. Like, how have what have been your best tactics that you've had that actually converts people off of social media and into sort of your private, you know, email list or whatever list it is that you're building that now enables them to really have an intimate conversation with you. What, what strategies have you used to actually get them to jump over and take action? Well, you know, I think rather than, than begging for likes and subscriptions and those kind of things, I think I probably use more of a fan repellent. (laughs) What I mean by that is, You know, when you cook spaghetti or noodles or whatever, you always strain them, right? You strain them to get the excess liquid off and you strain them to get that extra starch off and and you really don't want everything to stay in the pot. Well, I don't want everybody to subscribe to my list. I am going to be just as Southern as I want to be and I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm going to be just as vocal about my kids as I want to be. And if that turns people off, I don't want them to subscribe. I'm going to be just as conservative as I want to be about family, about finances, about politics, about whatever it is that I want to be, because I want the people to come through the strainer that I want. 
I want the people to get on my list that resonate with me that aren't going to get irritated with me or lukewarm with me. I'm going to be just carry with the volume turned way, way up. I speak in person barefoot. I don't like walk through public places barefoot, but I speak barefoot. And I know people that are into the whole like Jimmy Choo, blah, 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 may not resonate with them, but I'm speaking in ripped jeans. And I don't give a rip about that. I really don't. I want people that resonate with me to the core, my family values, my um, my business values, my pride of country, my pride of family, whatever it happens to be, I think that the way you get people from social to a closer conversation is by not being plain vanilla, by being who you are with the volume turned way up. Um, so that's part of it. The other thing is you have to bribe them. So an email address doesn't mean they're just getting something for free anymore. It means they're paying you with their permission. They're paying you with their email. It's not enough to say subscribe. It's not enough to say get updates and tips. You have to give them something to solve whatever it is they want solved right then. So seven, seven things your boss doesn't want you to know or three mistakes not to make when you're hiring your next contractor or um, four things you should never say to your children. Get the audio right now, um, you know, to be an intentional parent. Whatever that happens to be, you have to give them something of value in order for them to subscribe. So um, it's not anymore just part of belonging and it's not anymore part of just, oh, I want to be on her list and hear from her. They really want something immediate and tangible. And then you continue the conversation with stories in your email, with um, case studies, like that voice case study helps people understand what I'm talking about. And I can email that out to my whole list. And then P.S. I have a list building course, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess how that's going to convert? It's going to convert pretty well because I just told a story. I They've gotten it on a whole different level and I've been in conversation with them. They know I'm studying it on an ongoing basis and taking it to them. So I think, you know, at the bottom line, you have to stay in front of them with good content. Um, you have to stay in front of them with compelling personality, whatever that happens to be. Like Howard Stern has a compelling personality in a whole different way than I do. Um, but you can't argue with his rabid fans, right? That, right. you know, he, he converts in his own way. So... So those are just a few tips that I would say. Be you with the volume turns totally up. Don't apologize. You know, I will never apologize for when it, for standing there and waiting for a man to open the door for me. I'm, I'm a Southern belle to the core, and I don't I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. Some people that are turned off about by that, that's fine. Then then find somebody who really does resonate with you. I'm not into the spend big in order to have this appearance of lifestyle. I'm into hey, I'm reading Dave Ramsey's book about smart money, smart kids. Um, you know, so that my kids will have a good sense of financial responsibility since our country does not. Um, you know, I don't apologize for things like that and I don't tiptoe around it. Now, I don't speak out loud. Uh, I don't get into big debates about politics or religion. A lot of people know I'm faith-based. I am a believer. I'm not apologetic about that, but I don't get into these big heated debates about that kind of stuff. That's a conversation for a relationship. That's a conversation that if you ask me some pointed questions and we're having coffee or we're having lunch or we're, you know, even Skyping, you and I have relationship. We can handle that within a context. You can't handle that with blasts out. You just can't. And people are managing that very poorly these days, in my opinion. And um, and that's a conversation for relationship, not a conversation for relationship building. Does that make yeah, sense? Very good distinction. Yeah, yeah, it really does. I really appreciate that. 
Carrie, throughout these 16 years of you being a Barefoot executive and working from home and building very successful businesses, um, you know, you, you're obviously full of passion and you definitely have learned your lessons along the way and just like a plow forward. I mean, I think anyone listening can really hear it. You just like plow forward and you just make things happen. But behind all of that and in this journey, you have had to have, have some moments that you either questioned or they were just really low or you just didn't know what was going on. Can you take us to one of those moments where it was just a really low moment for you and how you got past it? Yeah. Well, you know, th- those are, those are also those things that I, I don't whine and moan and complain and social media. Not, I have said this before. My life is not perfect. I just used to focus on the positive. I remember very distinctly a quote from Mary Kay Ash, the cosmetics mogul. And she said, you know, it's not that I don't cry. I just cry in the shower because anybody that's close enough to see um, that, any, anybody that's close enough to notice matters. That's who I need to be sharing that with. <laughs> so wow, that's great. Yeah. So I've kind of maintained that. I mean, not that I don't have moments where I'm like, I, you know, j- let's just scrap it all. I'm going to to apply at the Home Depot today. I'm going to mix paint. I'm, that's what... <laughs> going to do. It's got to be easier than that. So sometimes when my kids are struggling with things, um, you know, those are moments that you go, okay, I just can't handle the brain bandwidth of one more thing or the heart bandwidth of one more thing. Or um, sometimes when you do a launch or you release something you're super excited about and your audience doesn't respond, then that can be a crusher. Sometimes I've had some very um, high profile endorsements and and, uh, partnerships with people who then, for whatever reason, decided that I was too strong or too intimidating or too fill in the blank here, whatever that was about. And then somehow I got kicked out of the cool kids club. And and that can be disappointing because, you know, especially as girls, our, our fear on the playground when we're little is being left out of the club, being left out of the, of the little group and being excluded. And so those kind of things still hurt. But um, you know, to heck with that. What I have to say is it's not about what I'm doing. It's not about who I'm doing this with. It's about who I'm doing this for. And their names are Mark and Emily and Katie and Lily. And it really does boil down to that for me. Um, and as long as I can be true to my faith and true to my priorities and, and, and my kids think I'm a rock star, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I really don't. And it's just a decision. It's just a decision. Not that I don't have down days, not that I don't cry. You know, I, I've got hormones, same as anybody else. Now, that is a huge business tip, though. I will sh- I will share, and everybody laughs when I share this, but it's so true. Um, you're not allowed to make biz- big business decisions or hair decisions or relationship decisions like three days before and during your cycle. It's just not <laughs> rule that's a good one <laughs> it's not a good idea like use the app the the cycle tracker use period tracker on your apps you whatever you need to do you need to be aware of that for you and your team that you work with so like katie if i'm consulting with you and you're having a meltdown and gonna quit and everything's going wrong <laughs> what day is thing, it <laughs> first day, thing i'm gonna ask you is katie let's let's just be honest and don't be irritated when i ask you this but are we three to five days within your cycle right now <laughs> and you're gonna laugh and go how did you know and i'll go well because the world's falling apart the sky is falling and you're ready 
ready to shoot Chris. We can't have that today. <laughs> We're going to reschedule this consulting call for four days from now. We're mm. going to talk. I want you to write down everything that's wrong. And then in a few days, we're going to laugh about this. So, And it seems like only a woman can ask a woman that. You start getting that from your husband or your boyfriend or a brother or whatever. You're like, you got the you got the devil eyes looking at him like, you have no right to ask me that. Exactly. You know, although, you know, I have been told before, I have a very, one of my best friends is a guy in business and he'll go, we're, we are not in the decision making window. That's, <laughs> that's a that's very just, diplomatic way to put it. I like that. I don't think you're in the decision making window. We need to table that for next week. So. <laughs> So that's okay, and I can laugh at that, but um, but it's true. It's true. Most of the time when we're overwhelmed and buried and everything's falling apart, it's a combination of home stuff, family stuff, and hormone stuff. We can't help it. We can't fight it. We just have to be aware of it. And I guess if there's one superpower, superhero power I have is self-awareness, that I can ask myself some questions, talk myself off a ledge look at the calendar and just go busy myself doing something else for a few days. Um, and then, you know, just revert back to the old school practice of the gratitude journal or a gratitude list. Like, you know what? There is so much that stinks right this very minute. I'm going to write down five things that could not possibly be better. And of course, I always lead off the list with my kids. Even if they're acting up, I'm still super grateful for them. And um, I'm still really blessed by them. And, and even if right now is a down economic time, I can look back at 16 years. 10 of those years, my husband was at home with me and I supported the entire family so that my kids had their dad at home every day, every field trip, every PTA meeting for 10 years. Wow. And how do you discount that just because this month didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. So, um, you know, I guess I take it in stride. I know that it there's ups and downs. The roller coaster, you can't live at the top. You got to get to the bottom in order to get to the next top. So um, I guess I just can be super practical about that and and pay attention to the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> That's the bottom line uh, takeaway here. Snaps. <laughs> Take naps. Carrie, so much of your business is focused on really helping others and helping others with their businesses and where they are. What do you do to make sure that you are constantly staying on top of being the strategist and the visionary for your business? Are there books that you are constant, like books that you really love to read, you know, any particular books that you have? Or, you know, are you participating in Mastermind? Do you have a coach? Do you have a mentor? What works for you to stay on top of where your business is going? Yeah, that's all super key. I have an accountability partner, um, one of my best friends. I'm also fortunate enough that he's also in business. And so we are accountability partners. We meet, you know, like via Skype once a week and hammer out like what's coming up, what we're working on. We can be honest enough with each other to go, that didn't really fit with those goals, you know, that we talked about last week. How do you see that fitting in, et cetera? That's important. I do belong to a quarterly mastermind group of peers. Um, that I meet with, that we challenge each other, hold each other accountable, and learn from each other's best stuff. Um, I, I'm not a big follower of new books necessarily, but I do have a couple of old favorites that I love. Um, I read The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes at least once a year, sometimes twice. The Ultimate Sales Machine from Chet Holmes. I also like Getting Everything You Can Out of All You've Got by Jay Abraham is really excellent classic that I love. Um, let's see. If I were to think of one other, I would say um, The War of Art is good by Pressfield. It's a little rough. His language is a little rough, but it's just kind of a good kick in the pants when you need it. 
And um, I would say that those are probably, the first two are kind of my go-tos. I do read a couple of blogs here and there. I follow Duct Tape Marketing, D-U-C-T, not D-U-C-K. Duct Tape Marketing, he's really good at staying on top of the tools and the trends. So instead of me trying to keep up with all that, I just keep up with John with the tools and the trends and, and that tends to help. Um, so that those are some of the things I do to stay sharp. But Again, it really is about knowing what has worked great for you in the past instead of chasing all the new stuff. What has worked well? Keep doing that. <laughs> focus on that and focus on why you're doing it, who you're doing it for. And, and I tell you, it just recenters me every time. Carrie, I really want to bring this conversation to a close by asking you, what are you most excited about that's coming up for you in the Barefoot Executive? Um, you know, I am super excited about the next 12 months of speaking and writing. I really kind of stretching my wings a little in the writing vein. I don't consider myself a writer, but lately a lot of the things I've written have just struck a chord with people, whether it's on Facebook or my blog. And so I'm really excited about my Kindle to keynote strategy. And I think this next year, I'm going to probably, um, I would say I'm going to increase the stages I speak on by 10 times. And by the end of the year, I think I'll probably have a dozen books on Kindle um, that are, you know, just part of the machine, part of the machine, feeding my business, sharing content, making me affordable for people that can't consult with me. I'm excited about that because that's impact, right? Making, you know, being affordable for everyone. And uh, I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about my daughter going to college and me having spent the last 16 years creating a business so that her little sisters and I can go for long weekends and watch her march in the band and do her thing. Um, I'm really excited about that. So um, I, guess, I guess that's it. I'm just, I, I see new possibilities all the time. We're always evolving. And I, I just see new things to be excited about. Carrie, I really want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for for being on the show and for sharing your story. And obviously what comes through there is just so many great strategies and ideas and concepts of really how one can really have a very successful business at home, you know, doing the things that they do and really creating the life and, and designing the life that they really want, which is what you have done for the past 16 years. So thank you so much for sharing all of your story and uh, and how to really do that. So I really appreciate you being here. Thanks, Katie, for inviting me anytime. To find out more information about Carrie and how to get connected to her and for all the show notes for this show, go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash 56. And if you want to find out more information about how you can possibly join us for this year's cruise, Go also to bizwomenrock.com and there will be information there about this year's cruise, okay? I would love to see you there. There were really two major things that stuck with me during that conversation with Carrie. The first was that she genuinely is herself. I know I say this about so many of our guests, but she really pointed that fact out. And she really said, you know, building your audience has so much to do with really... Um, what did she say? Like, you know, straining the spaghetti, you know, like really just making sure that the people who are opting in, who are a part of your audience, who are coming on board with you are, are the ones who truly love just who you are genuinely. And, um, and really, you know, saying no to those people who aren't really a good fit for you. So I really appreciated that. And I really liked her metaphor that she used about the voice about how, you know, what the difference is between your social media audience and your actual email audience and your email list that actually has a little bit more of an intimate 
um, relationship with you that actually does take action. And I love that we really went into that conversation. So I hope you got that really clearly. And I hope that really resonated for you. I really want to thank you so much for being here. I did mention earlier that, you know, Carrie and I did meet on our Tampa Marketers crew. So if that is something that you're interested in, um, just go to bizwomenrock.com and I'm going to have a little uh, area over there on the column that will have uh, some information about the Marketers Cruise. It is done here locally for our local Tampa Bay business owners organization. But like I said, we do fly in folks from all over the country and outside of the country. We've, we have brought internet marketers from all over the world to come and teach what they know. And then anyone who wants to come um, from anywhere can come and fly in or do whatever they want to do and just come out of here and go on an amazing four-day cruise to Cozumel. So I would love for you to be a part of that. Um, so go to bizwomenrock.com and you'll be able to see information for that, okay? All right. I want to thank you so much for being here. I'll see you on the next episode. You still there? So I'm going to share with you another totally unseen reason why Carrie is so awesome. So just a few days after this interview, she actually sent me a thank you card with a Starbucks gift certificate in it, which is unheard of. I mean, usually I'm the one sending thank you cards to everyone for being on my show. So just another little snippet as to why she's so A, amazing, and B, super successful.